Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, you're listening to The BIP Show. Ho, ho, Merry Christmas, everybody. Here's to a great 2021. And for my first economics-based gag of the day, I'm going to say that it's going to be hard for next year to be worse than 2020 because of base effects. BIP is for business investing and policy, and that's what we're here to talk about in this very special Christmas edition featuring a host of superb guests. We've got insights, we've got reflections, we've got some festive spirit, and we've even got some music. Stick around, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. I've got something boring but important to start off with, and it's about supporting the show. Uh, We've self-funded the BIP show this year, and uh, while we've talked about a few uh, potential sponsors, um, those conversations have led down a track where we've um, had to focus on particular topic areas and ensure that we talk about certain topics, and it just gets a bit complicated. So we thought what we'd do would, would be what a lot, a lot of people have done this year, uh, and let's turn to our listeners. So you can support the show now at uh, supporter.acast.com forward slash the BIP show, and we'll put that link on Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. Um, that's how we're hoping to uh, to support the show uh, going into next year. We're really looking forward to 2021. And of course, the support from our audience will get us uh, energized about the year ahead. I am Paul Colgan, director at CT Group, back in the chair after a wonderful show last week, led by the outrageously charming James Whelan, uh, macro strategist and investment manager at VFS. Uh, in breaking news, there was a minor COVID outbreak in Sydney's northern suburbs and horrendously James has had contact. So uh, he's now joining us on Skype instead of being here. Um, how are you, James? How are you now, Paul? Uh, mate, uh, isolation, lockdown, shutdown, it's some of the loneliest times of my life. I've, I've come to appreciate what I miss, what I love, what I know. Uh, I, got, I got tested about I got tested about two hours ago and I'm, uh, I've am i been in lockdown for about 1.45. Yeah, that's right. So, But it is, uh, it's, it's, it's tough. I can't be there. I do miss it. I, and I'm sorry that I can't be in there, but you've got to do the right thing in these, uh, in these conditions, mate. Well, uh, we're all sorry too, James. Uh, you light up the room. Uh, we're uh, <laughs> also joined on the line from Amsterdam by Ken Vexler, Managing Director at Acumen Management. Uh, mate, we were all very shocked and saddened to see that dramatic lockdown this week in the Netherlands. Uh, how's it all going? Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, shocked. The reason you were shocked is because you failed to understand humanity like I do. It was inevitable. It's a massive failure of the marshmallow test. People couldn't delay gratification for seven minutes and they wanted to kill grandma at Christmas as opposed to waiting for Easter. So they had to go shopping and do all the rest. Uh, it's pretty rubbish, but nothing new. We had this, you know, eight or so months ago. It is what it is. Moving on. Okay, so look, we have a pretty packed room here in Sydney. Uh, I'm going to introduce an, uh, um, everyone, but there is some important background to this episode. Uh, part of the reason we started the BIP show was that many years ago, when I was editing Business Insider, we had a podcast called Devils and Details. Uh, and after that wound up, lots of people kept messaging me and asking me if we could resurrect the show. Uh, so we capitulated and started the BIP show. So in the old days, we had a Christmas special. 
And we did that every year for three years running. It was always a stack of fun, and we always featured the same group of people. I am really delighted that we have put the band back together, uh, and they're all here today. Uh, first of all, David Scott, financial market savant, and now anchor extraordinaire at uh, Ausbiz, uh, the streaming service that launched in a pandemic and has been a roaring success. Uh, David, how good are reunions? Reunions are fantastic, and thank you for having me back on the show. It feels like I've never left the, uh, the very familiar faces around, so I'm looking forward to the chat today. Uh, delighted. We've also got Laura Fitzsimmons, executive director for rate sales uh, at JP Morgan here in Sydney. Laura, great to see you again. Merry Christmas. Are you in one piece after 2020? Absolutely, Paul. I feel like I am in one piece. It's been an incredibly busy year, an incredibly amazing year in, in many ways. But uh, yeah, looking forward to, to recounting it all with you guys and, and looking forward to next year as well. Um, and also, I have to ask you, um, I imagine doing rates at JP Morgan uh, this year was a pretty amazing vantage point uh, to watch 2020 from. Uh, uh, how was that? Yeah, it was an incredible uh, place to be, you know, witnessing what was going on in the world, you know, the market moves, um, having the insight from, you know, the research team and, and, you know, the strategists to try and figure out what on earth was going to happen from here. And no one really knew, right? But I think, you know, having some of the best minds in the world to, to advise us on what to do next and, and seeing central banks, uh, you know, acting the way they did, it was great to have, you know, at least some insight to be able to help people navigate and, you know, clients navigate through what was going on um, because it was all pretty horrendous for everyone and it was something no one had ever experienced before. Um, but, you know, I feel like we, we did our best that we could and, uh, and hopefully now looking forward, you know, we, we're trying to figure out the way out of this and uh, it's becoming a little bit more clear. Uh, and certainly what's really interesting is the long end of the curve is starting to just ever so slightly tick up. Uh, I'm sure we'll get onto that during the show. Uh, and I'm also delighted we've got uh, uh, another uh, one of the OGs. Uh, we've got Joanne Masters, uh, Chief Economist at EY Oceania and one of the most well-known economic com uh, communicators in the country now. Um, illustrious career in financial markets uh, and uh, economic analysis and also our very first guest on the BIP show when we started earlier this year. Joe, it's great to see you. Uh, Merry Christmas. It is so good to be here, both for the BIP show, but also the band back together. This is absolutely one of my highlights of the year. Fantastic. We're going to cover a lot of ground in the show. Uh, listeners will know that I have turned super bullish uh, on the trajectory of the recovery in Australia. The fact that this uh, has been an awful year hardly needs stating, uh, but it's also worth noting that even though the recovery looks strong, um, the economy is uh, still, to a large extent, just getting us off its knees after a massive haymaker punch. Right. So now right in the path of that haymaker punch was the art sector. Concerts were stopped, performers couldn't perform, hundreds of thousands of people were out of work in our uh, uh, creative economy. Uh, the music never really stopped, of course. Uh, musicians were still working away in their studios and homes, uh, practicing, doing Zoom concerts. Uh, and I'm delighted that we're joined uh, for our Christmas uh, special by Christopher Pidcock, uh, who is a cellist with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. Uh, and Christopher hasn't wasted the lockdown. Uh, he's just released an album uh, called Immersed in Bach, uh, based around the music of Bach and Bach's influence on music today. Uh, Chris, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure. Uh, look, Chris is quite an understated guy. Uh, it's worth quickly running down through his credentials. He's travelled the world playing chamber and orchestral music. He's performed in places like New York, Leipzig, Chicago, Tel Aviv, Moscow, that's just to name a few. He's won a whole stack of awards and scholarships. Uh, he did his concert exam at Northwestern U University, where he was also a member of the Civic 
Orchestra of Chicago, working with the legendary Yo-Yo Ma. Chris is a full member of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, so if you have been to their shows, uh, you'll have seen him there right to the right-hand right side of the conductor. He also does some amazing work around Sydney, particularly encouraging young musicians. He runs a project called Opus Now, uh, which last year uh, featured uh, performances of Beethoven's extraordinary uh, string quartets, um, all performed in a small performance space in Newtown. I went to a few of them, and they were really remarkable evenings uh, showcasing all sorts of different musical styles. Look, in between that, he's also doing a doctorate at Sydney University, uh, focusing on 19th century romantic techniques. I promise this is only scratching the surface of some of what Chris gets up to. We're going to chat to him in a bit, but Chris has kindly agreed uh, to kick off the show with a little bit of Bach. Uh, and it's the first part of the cello suite in G. Uh, it's just a couple of minutes long. It will be familiar to uh, you all, I'm sure. 2020 has been a long year, but we're hoping to lift the tone a little bit. Uh, and let's kick off the show with this bit of magic. Chris, over to you. Thank you. <laughs> Holy moly. Uh, it, um, so I've heard you do that a few times and uh, it, it never fails. Um, so look, uh, so Chris, the music has kept going this year, um, but it has, it has been a really horrendous year for the art sector. Um, 
I wondered if you could kick us off um, just by talking about your experience from playing in packed concert halls uh, several nights a week to zero. <laughs> um, uh, and through this show, we're, we're, with the rest of the panel, we're going to talk through what we learned in 2020 and then the best and worst bits. Um, so let's talk. Let's talk. Start with um, uh, 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 what, what the year was like for you. Oh, it's starting out great. You know, we we just done our season launch at the beautiful Sydney Town Hall and had packed crowds, and just all of a sudden, yeah, we just slowly realised this was um, going to be a problem for us, particularly the arts. You know, we were so dependent on live live audiences, and once it became impossible for them to come, we we just slowly cancelled every concert. <laughs> it was. It was, it, was, it was amazing that we kept together and I'm, I'm really proud to be part of such a wonderful organisation that really kept it alive and, and we've gone mostly digital, but um, it's, been, it's been a rude awakening for the arts. Um, so the uh, one big thing uh, you learned in 2020? Well, I've noticed how differently people listen in a time of crisis. I mean, I've done some concerts online. Um, there are nights there in August where it still felt very taboo to, to be giving concerts. Uh, um, and, but the way people listened and they noticed every detail um, of the concert, uh, it was, that was really something special. And I think um, any music that's made in a, in a year like this is going to be remembered, you know, in the future. So that's very important, yeah. Um, so, um, the worst things you learned in 2020? Well, obviously the, the tragedy of just so many music festivals and, and, and people losing jobs and, and of course the, the mental health and, and suicide, it's been, it's been, um, terrible for business and, and, um, yeah, I'm just very grateful that we've, um, managed to keep together and, um, the orchestra's really looking forward to a, a really packed next year. Absolutely, um, the um, and the orchestra is fantastic. I do some work with the orchestra here in Sydney, and they really are amazing people. They work incredibly hard to get shows up. Uh, let's get upbeat. Um, best things of the year? Well, I would say just disco dis um, discovering that we can work from home, and you know, my my wonderful fiance is a cardiologist, and you know, having her doing the echoes at home, and um, I just hope that's something we all um, can do in whatever walk we're doing. Realize how much more we can do at home if it's a professional environment at home, and and we can um, really get a great balance in our lives. I mean, you are definitely talking, I think, the language of a lot of people. I think this is probably the biggest thing, uh, certainly for me, in the conversations I'm having. Um, it is really, really extraordinary. Um, so, um, uh, it's look, it's good to finish this. Chris, you may come back at the end of the show to do a, just a little something oh, I more. Know, um, I might convince <laughs> you, I might twist your arm. Uh, look, this leaves us in a great place because one of the things in my experience about um, people who, works in, who work in economics and markets um, we all generally have to take an aggregate view of things. Uh, and uh, if you look at the aggregate view, things are definitely getting a lot better. Uh, but in my experience, talking to people in financial markets and economics is that when you get people in conversation, they will always talk with great regard for the people, uh, for the individuals who are uh, left um, behind in various compositions of economic growth. And so we've got a great uh, table to go around uh, and ask those questions of and have this conversation about the recovery, but also um, the complexity of it. Uh, I'm going to be mainly getting out of the way now, uh, and I'm going to start <laughs> um, everyone to start a conversation about the Australian economy at the end of 2020. Uh, and I'm going to hand over to Joe Masters to talk about this. Joe, where are we? So I think that's a really important 
question. But I guess to answer that, I'm going to reflect on something that you just said, that is everyone's experience has some bits that are similar to it, but actually has been quite fragmented. So just listening to Chris, uh, thinking about the arts sector, uh, we actually did some work specifically around um, live events and the impact on the economy and the impact on that sector in particular. And, And I will call it out as one of the sectors where we have seen just such a significant impact, not just on the output, which is tends to be what economists think about, but on livelihoods and the ability to to keep going. So uh, I think um, it is important to recognise that we have had some variation in the experiences that people have had. Where are we now? Well, you know, we are doing a lot better than we feared. If you cast your mind back to March and April, we thought the unemployment rate might get to 15 or 20 percent. It's 6.8. We thought, um, you know, house prices would collapse. They're rising nationally. Uh, We thought um, that the economy would still be on its knees. Uh, And actually, the economy's growing. Unemployment's 6.8. House prices are rising across the nation. Retail sales are are rising. Um, The economy grew by 3.3% in the September quarter. So those are all good things. I don't want to be a naysayer, but I do think that we still need to recognise or put that into context. And the context of that is the economy is still 4% smaller than it was at the end of 2019. And we are doing better than we thought. We are doing better than many other advanced economies. But there are clearly some challenges still ahead. And I guess one of the things that I say all the time, and I say it because it's really important, and that is people don't feel recessions through GDP data or retail trade data. Typically, they feel it through the jobs market. Pretty much everyone either has a job or relies on someone who has a job or relies on government support, which in turn actually relies on um, tax being paid, whether from individuals or corporates, right? So the jobs market is really, really important. Um, When we look to 2021, Uh, I think 2021 will be a better year. I think it will be a more predictable year and it will have a more modest cadence than 2020. But compared to an average year, it's still going to have a lot of challenges. Laurie, you're still going to be working really hard uh, next year, right? Um, And lots of assumptions still. I mean, we've learned a lot about the virus, about the intersection between lockdowns and the economy. We kind of know that now. Um, But, you know, what you assume around the vaccine, and it's not enough just to have a vaccine, you have to have high efficacy and a rollout plan. That is critical. Uh, We still need to taper the economy off significant government support. Um, We need households that will face into weak income growth, remembering it was weak before COVID and now it's going to be even weaker. And we haven't seen that yet. There's been no income recession because of government support. Um, And outside of COVID, we still have a few other challenges. Now, some of those are structural, things like skills of the future, but some of them are also related to um, a pretty significant trade tension with our largest trading partner, and that is not insignificant. And we heard Treasurer Frydenberg call that out today in the MyEFO, and and that will happen regardless of what happens around COVID and the vaccine. Can I just ask you to, like, how do you think about, like, the quantum of that risk uh, to Australian growth going forward, uh, like what is the spectrum of the risk that that element in terms of exports, et cetera, poses to the overall composition of the economy and how things feel and how Australians are going to experience 2020? 
Yeah, that's a great question and it doesn't have a straightforward answer. Uh, the reality is there's a lot of moving parts. Um, what we do know is that anything that makes doing business with your major trading partner more difficult, anything that slows it down or impacts volume or impacts prices has an economic consequence. Um, now, the, the big one is iron ore, right? Uh, so at the moment, iron ore outperforming on price and volume. That's helping to mitigate the impact of some tensions around our other exports to China. So there's a bit of a balancing act there. But anything that slows down free trade is bad for the economy. Uh, Laura, I'm going to talk to you. Um, you obviously uh, take a really big um, global macro perspective on, on this uh, uh, but obviously uh, working in Sydney, you've got Australian clients. So I'm really fascinated to hear your perspective on this, like how you think the Australian economy is shaping up at where, where we are right now. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I look at it in a pretty straightforward sense, right? You know, obviously Australia and New Zealand, we're so much uh, further ahead in terms of beating the virus, you know, even if there's a small outbreak here or there, like compared to the rest of the world, it's, it's nothing. And I think that's why for me, in terms of FX, you're absolutely going to see Aussie and Kiwi dollar outperform next year, you know, as part of, you know, the, the weaker, broader dollar anyway. But I just can't see really how that's going to stop at this moment. And, and clearly the Aussie is running up to 76 as, you know, as we, as we came here today. So it's, it's interesting. Um, and I think it's, it's going to be a problem for the central banks who obviously don't want that. Uh, and, you know, their QE programs have been launched and they're trying to do what they said they were going to do. And it's not really working. Um, but then they, they also are having much better economic outcomes than they expected. And we saw that with Kiwi GDP, for example, today. So I think for me right now, I can see a lot of clients who are really trying to trade the good news story. A lot of people are putting on their 2021 trades already, um, which is always a, a bit of a scary thing to do in December. But it, it's, it's probably leading to the move higher in bond yields and, and what we're seeing in, in the currencies as well. Uh, but I think people are definitely trading the second half of 2021 before it actually happens. And you still have a lot of wood to chop in terms of virus cases. I mean, the US just had record deaths, you know, just, just yesterday. Um, and, you know, you're seeing continued outbreaks in many places that are, you know, are much more severe than before. Yes, we know the vaccine's on the horizon. It's starting to get rolled out. Not only is it about the efficacy um, and the rollout plan, but it's also about the take-up, right? And we just don't know how that's all going to play out just yet. Uh, so I feel like people want to cling on to that hope, but they're kind of forgetting that there is still a lot of repair that needs to be done. People might point to the savings rate, you know, it's obviously record and, and there's a lot of pent up demand that people, uh, you know, are also uh, ascribing to, to why they're putting on these trades. But I do feel that, you know, we're probably going to hit a few troughs before that. Um, and I think clients need to be ready for that. And, and I don't feel that they are. Uh, I think because you had such a sharp rebound in March in equities and risk assets generally throughout the year, that people think, well, the bad news never lasts for long. Central banks are there. Uh, and they will be there for a while. So I think people really feel quite, you know, um, emboldened to keep running risk assets. And, and that's probably why the moves can extend. Yeah, that the, the, yeah. the, the fiscal and, uh, yeah. and central bank put is kind of in now for good. Mm. Um, but, but obviously there's this other part of the, the economy, which is like industry and these vast parts, which are, you know, industry and consumers um, in Australia and globally. And yeah. uh, there's... Definitely going to be, Joe, what you talked about uh, back in May when we did the first show, the, this kind of sawtooth, this risk at least of a sawtooth um, approach to, to the recovery, Laura. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think that's probably a great way to describe it. Uh, I think going forward as well, I mean, it, it just feels like overall, uh, you know, we've been through a lot and 
you know, people I think will, will have learnt some lessons, but overall I think, as you say, the put is there and, and therefore, you know, I think going forward it just feels like that people never really know the real downside um, and that's a risk. Uh, David, um, how good is it, uh, like I said, uh, how good are reunions, but how good is it to be doing a podcast again? Uh, we can talk about the Australian economy because <laughs> we did this with a lot of people. We did. It's uh, fantastic to be back and uh, under trying circumstances, but uh, a lot of what's been said before is, uh, is spot on. Things are looking a lot better than what they were uh, only a little while ago, but uh, there are challenges that remain. And I think the uh, one of the big ones from a societal perspective is the, uh, is the imbalance we're going to go and see from what's happened from this fiscal stimulus, from this monetary policy stimulus. We've got a lot of people who were previous uh, asset holders who have benefited tremendously. Those people who haven't are going to get left behind it at some point. That's going to go and lead to some uh, some troubles down the line. And that's one of my longer lasting concerns that I have about what this pandemic will go and cause here in Australia. And we absolutely saw that after the GFC, right? Like we put all these policies in place in the GFC and one of the things we did not have was a lens around inequality, sort of the unintended consequence of QE, um, asset holders, the, the put, all of those things. And it was starting to play out before COVID, right? Uh, everything, Brexit, Trump, yellow vests. We saw um, unrest through South America, through the Middle East. So one of the things that has been missing this year, to be fair, governments have been focused on sort of rescue and respond. Um, but as we move to recovery and reform, there has to be an equality lens on what we do. I think that's a really, and thank you for calling that out, because I think that's a really important thing, because every man and their dog who certainly has been involved in economics and markets policy is like very, very clear uh, and uh, about the effect of some of the policy measures, the big policy measures, uh, ultra-low rates, um, uh, uh, and and a bit of a what's now appeared to be a fiscal put that um, it inflated asset prices. So if you held wealth before uh, two thousand and seven and rode that out, you're in a pretty good place now. And certainly from an economic, from a political perspective, that has driven a lot of politics. Uh, I think which is where it's become clear that. Um, the, uh, you know, it, people who have assets, and it's like even at the uh, at a, the middle Australia level, property prices. If you had a house um, fifteen years ago, and you've owned it, and you've ridden that out, you're doing okay. Uh, meanwhile, despite all the best efforts of everybody, um, it's been very hard for continually very hard for um, for lots of people to get uh, on the housing market, and it's been a continual source of. Um, Frustration. So, James, I'm going to bring you yeah, in. Uh, for sure, yeah. No, just, just chucking in there and, and g'day, everyone. Uh, again, I uh, hope you're all going okay. But, you yeah, know, Paul, spot on. And part of the reason for that is the fact that this is my best and worst for 2020 is the fact that the best thing was how quickly governments managed to respond and, and uh, well, some governments managed to respond and, and sort out what they needed to sort out. The worst part was that we managed to solve a pandemic using GFC solutions, they pulled out the old, you know, break break glass in case of emergency on 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 an emergency. It happens to be a pandemic, and we've sold it using using GFC solutions, which means that 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 inequality has been further stretched. The main play for the next few years, based on that, got to go forward again because being away here, I don't think I'm going to get many words in, so that's okay. But the main play from that is going to be more of the yellow vest, going to be more of that inequality uh, inequality, going to be more of that standing up. Uh, this isn't right. We have managed to pay not only 10 years of paying for the GFC, 
and what did we get out of it? Just just further uh, further away from the middle. But now we've had a pandemic, and what did we get out of it? We're the guys who are waiting here for our six hundred dollar checks, whilst the Fed is on the market buying bonds for corporates that probably don't need their bonds to be bought. That's that's the main perception, right or wrong. Doesn't matter. The perception of the people is 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 going to be very much in that line, and uh, and and that's uh, that's pretty much all that I've got to say about that one. Ken, um, I know yes. you've been from, from um, the outsider's perspective, uh, and I really do think this is one of the really important things about the BIP show. Like we talk about global and and, and Australian economics, obviously a lot. But one of the things that's been really useful is to have that perspective from Europe. You know, the other often uh, overlooked. Uh, giant engine room of the of the global economy um and you're able to uh bring us that perspective from 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 where you are um how, how do you see australia from from your vantage point uh, obviously you know a little bit more about it than most europeans but um but you are a european and you're 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 living in that uh, the media cycle and that economic and fiscal uh uh environment all the time so um what do you think um, I must admit that over the last probably, I don't know, two, three weeks, maybe a bit longer, my thinking on Australia and its position, I suppose, globally has, has, has changed somewhat and it's come around to a more positive uh, viewpoint in terms of how I perceive Australia and its fortunes over the next, say, 12 months. But again, that's, that's sort of in keeping with how I perceive the global economic fortunes over the next, again, 12 or so months. Um, Australia is uniquely placed. It's an island. It's a lucky. It's the lucky country. What used to be the tyranny of distance is now the blessing of solitude. Um, and so as a consequence, you know, Australia has generally been able to come out to the better on the other side of, of, of what we've witnessed over the last 12 months. The China issues, it's, it's a big thing. Um, how far it goes in terms of blowing up Australia's potential recovery, I'm not sure. I'm sort of on the fence about that at the moment. Um, but I do think that, as I said, my overall global perspective on things is that animal spirits will uh, will take over uh, at some point, and we're, we're seeing a lot of that already. And as a consequence, Australia's position as a high beta to a global risk uh, appetite will hold it in good stead. Um, Economically, it's pretty sound uh, in terms of, well, you know, asset prices are only going to go one way, and that's property. You know, uh, inequality, social inequality, that, that's that's something that I'm not prepared to tackle because it's well out of my wheelhouse. But on the whole, I think Australia is, yeah, it's it's in a, it's in a pretty good position to to sort of look at what's coming over the next twelve months. Um, Laura, I have a question for you. So. Uh, there is this very sort of structurally bullish theme emerging for you. So if you were to think about what some of the risks would be from the position we're in now with all of this monetary um, policy and fiscal stimulus in the system and not going to go away, how would you uh, position yourself to um, be, if if you thought that things were going to turn down, how would you position yourself to, do, to, to be ready for that? Sure. So I guess the way that we're seeing it play out at the moment, obviously steeper bond curves um, and, and clearly the high beta currencies, as just mentioned, uh, are performing really well. So, you know, if you want a position for, for that to be reversed, you know, 
the one thing that has stood out for the last few years is just how cheap FX volatility is. So that's definitely if you were to own puts or put spreads on the Aussie dollar, um, they will be something that will perform because not only if you had a, a big sell-off in the Aussie and, and you know, things risk turn sour, um, you'd certainly see the volatility pick up and, and you know, obviously you would make money if, the, if the, the move was lower. So I think that's one that it's still a popular trade. Look, it hasn't always worked well, but I see a lot of equity fund managers, for example, who you know, are happy to have their core structural position, long equities, long risk, um, but they'll keep those Aussie hedges in place because they know that when things turn, that's generally the thing that gets hit. Um, but likewise, you know, in terms of you know, whether it's in the rates world where you operate more, um, you know, the steeper curves are playing out. But personally, I feel that you know, it's a popular trade, but it's also been, um, it's evaded success for a long time in the last, you know, decade, even since the GFC. So it's a trade that doesn't really perform very well. So I definitely think that that's something that can turn quickly. So if people are owning, you know, either whether it's receiver trades in terms of like yields going lower um, or it just hedges around that space, uh, whether it's calls on the 10-year on the note, whatever it might be. Uh, but, you know, the way you'd express that, it's certainly, it, vol is still cheap enough to be able to do these things and, and it certainly makes sense as we head into next year to have those hedges in place. Well, look, um, let's quickly get into the long grass. Uh, I didn't really put, it, put this on the agenda, but we should talk about it quickly. Let's talk about the, um, the, the whole issue of rates rising, right? So certainly 10-year um, t- uh, rates uh, I, I, if I, I looked at this during the week and, um, I mean, you're a fool if you are, think that it's um, going up forever, right? Because lots of people have, but it certainly has turned, right? So hit a low on the US 10 year of something like uh, 58 basis points or something. Uh, now it's up like 91 um, and the Aussie 10 year is up about 1% or something uh, ish. Um, so like, how do you think about this? So I I want to open this to the floor. Like, um, what is this telling us? Maybe Joe, what is that like that, that, that rising in the 10 year rate? What is that signaling about how, um, the market is valuing, uh, that government debt? Uh, so I guess from the economist perspective, um, this may not be the answer you're looking for. I don't really care if it's 80 basis points or 1%, right? Debt is cheap, debt is cheap, debt is cheap, and debt's going to be cheap for a long, long time. And that's going to be true for households and for corporates and for government. Um, that doesn't mean that in Laura's world there isn't a whole heap of pain when that happens. But from a macro perspective, from how our economy performs, um, I don't think it's game changing. And, you know, one of the things that I've seen in my time in in my short time at EY compared to my long time in markets is like it just doesn't actually play through those those 25 basis point moves. They're not really game changing when rates are already low. Um, To answer your question, though, which I probably haven't done, um, I, I guess The Economist in me hopes that it's reflective of confidence in the economy, confidence in the ability to close the output gap, confidence in the ability to see wages go up and inflation go up. Laura, can I throw that to you? Sure. And I guess you're right, Joe, we definitely have a really micro lens and we, we, we totally obsess about small moves and they mean, they mean a big deal to us uh, in the rates world. But I think, you know, what it reflects is definitely that, you know, the hope of the reflation trade coming through. That's clearly a theme that people are clinging on to. I'm very sceptical because I look at what the world was like before COVID and pent up demand or whatever you want to call it. But still, like we, there was structural deflationary forces at play and I think they will return and, and they will probably over overrun 
whatever happens in the short term. So I think that's that's something to, to be aware of and absolutely why you should have some hedges in place. Uh, but I think overall, like, you know, it's signalling, yeah, look, rates were cut to, you know, historic lows, you know, huge moves, emergency measures, QE programs, everything was wheeled out, right? It was like the full force of central bank and, and, and fiscal support as well. Um, and I think, you know, in many ways, this is the desired outcome. So it is a good sign. Uh, it shouldn't be something that people fear. Uh, but I do think that, you know, the lessons from the GFC must be that, like, yes, rates get lowered and they, it's very hard to raise them again. It takes a long time. And so people shouldn't really get overexcited um, and try to do everything in fast forward. I think the equity market makes us want to do everything in fast forward, but other asset classes are much slower to respond just because, you know, everything can stay this way for a long time and persist. Well, uh, uh, yes, and uh, there's another way of putting that, which is that you know maybe they have a bit more patience and sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, can I, can I, can I just jump yeah. in the corner very quickly? <laughs> you don't really want to say it out loud, you know? um, particularly after the year we've had with uh, uh, all of that speculative, uh, this, the new speculative crew, um, you know, and we've said this many, many times. Welcome to that giant new uh, uh, group of people who have um, who have joined the investing community. Uh, be careful, um, <laughs> is is all I'll say. Um, the uh, Ken, I really want to throw that back to you uh, quickly, yeah, um, because um, I know you will have opinions. Yeah, unlike me to have an opinion. No, I, I just wanted to say, look, I think there, there are a couple of facets to it. I think on the rate side of things, we need to uh, ex- accept and understand the fact that globally, central banks, at least in the developed world, are on the whole, generally average inflation targeting, which means that, you know, like the Fed has said, they're happy to see average inflation over the window of, say, 2%. But as averages mathematically work, you need to be above 2 for a period uh, to see 2 as an average. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, not dissimilarly in Australia and the like, which means that central banks invariably are prepared to let economies, in inverted commas, run hot when and if, which means that, you know, rates are going to stay low for quite some time. Uh, And when and if they do rise, it's going to be incremental and marginal. Uh, It also means that, uh, as Laura pointed out correctly, there there are twos and fro's and things move pretty quickly in markets because everyone wants to jump on the move that they perceive is going to happen or they need to get out of a position that they've been wrong and need to unwind, etc. So that accentuates erratic movement in the market. But on the whole, I think if you look at sovereign bonds, throughout the tenant, sort of, you know, short end or front end and, and long end and belly, we're, we're going to be stuck in fairly significant ranges. They're going to be fairly tight. And you, you might have the occasional blowout here and there uh, where 20 basis point move is, you know, something, but it equates to an unwind of a position where, you know, a steepener just isn't working because, well, why would it be? Because nothing's happening. So I think that's, that's something important to just keep in mind that everything's exaggerated by the nuance of the fact that everyone's pretty much in the same trade and, you know, is trying to get out through a, a relatively crowded door of a burning theatre. So I think that, that's... Yeah. So, so look, um, as uh, usually happens when you put um, a whole bunch of uh, smart people <laughs> together, the agenda for this has been really badly derailed. Uh, but this has been a fascinating chat so far. So, I, But I do know that I want to capture a few things that... Um, uh, we all try to cover on this uh, Christmas special every time, right? So uh, uh, let's do it really, really fast. We'll do a round robin. Uh, I'm going to start with you, David. Um, biggest things you've learned this year? Don't fight central banks. Uh, there's sacred cows out there. Chinese love to go into infrastructure investment in a crisis. We love housing. That's what you do. 
Laura, biggest things you've learned this year? Uh, the way that people can adapt to anything, uh, whether it's Zoom or, you know, just in terms of lockdown, I, I think everybody learned something about themselves this year. And, and I think that's true for markets as well. Uh, and I, I just hope that, you know, people don't forget those things quickly. Joe, What happens when we collaborate? I think pretty special things happen. Can I have a second one though? Of course. I also think that we've learned that older people have a lot to add. You know, I think there's been this big focus on juniorification in markets. And I think in the COVID environment where your theory doesn't play out, your economic frameworks are being tested, to be able to overlay that with professional experience, life experience and judgment has really been valuable. So it's going to elongate my career. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, yeah, it's just as, as you were saying, you know, you know, one up for the older people. Like I'm like, yes, fantastic. You know, I can see more runway. What, might, what, what, my runway just got longer. Thank you, Joe. In my office already. I'm 39. I'm getting called OK Boomer. <laughs> yeah, right. OK. Wow. Um, uh, J J James, biggest thing you've learned uh, this year? Uh, Joe, first off, I thought that uh, th that's not you talking your own book. You are definitely not in that category. So just 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 relax on that. But what I what I have learned is that it took ID, IT departments, it took IT departments three hours to do what we had wanted them to do for ten years, and that is to manage to get people equipped and ready to work from home. Uh, it was really remarkable about the way that after all, everything happened that they were so quickly to, 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 to get everything set and done and it's changed the way that the world works. Well, it's well, James, the way that people interact. James, if I can just tell you, like, um, because of our not-so-great internet uh, in Australia, like we, we've had to turn the video off for this call and keep it on audio, uh, which has been a theme of this year. Uh, uh, but there was a lot of approving looks around this table, right? <laughs> just then when you said that. <laughs> It's uh, not too hard. I, I, tried, I was trying to get some people working on stuff for a very long time. And there you go. 20 minutes. Yeah, no worries. Turns out we could just get, get it done. Thanks, um, guys. And can I also just add the underlining point, which was um, the, the whole thing about the, um, the people who were in HR departments, et cetera, who were like, um, there's a, a, a four-page form that you've got to fill out and we've got to talk to the insurer before you decide to do two hours work from home on a Thursday morning. <laughs> and then um, it says, everyone get the hell out of the uh, office. And then, and then it was like, yeah, yeah, we got to go, go because we're all going to get the plague. <laughs> and everybody was, everybody was at home the next day working yep. pretty fine. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Everyone sort of went, everyone managed okay. That's good. Uh, any other biggest things you've learned this year, James? No, mate, that, that's pretty much it. The fact that everyone got together, um, uh, it's got to be a collaboration of, of what it is. The human spirit survives um but gee of all the things that survive the fed really if it isn't for those guys then everything is completely stuffed so mate uh, it sounds cynical but that's just the way that it is i think there's a lot of people around the world who who, who are big fans of the fed uh, at the moment so <laughs> you're, you're you're gonna lose no votes um no votes, uh, no, no votes <laughs> with that call uh ken uh, biggest things uh, you've learned this year um, I suppose the biggest things, uh, don't overthink things, uh, take your brain out and just go with the flow as it were, as, as benign as that sounds. Um, but also the fact that human nature is as reliable and as repetitive as you would assume it to be and people are simpletons unfortunately. Um, so that, that's something that I've just had reinforced. On a positive note. Uh, yeah, people persevere on a positive and get note. on I thought that was a positive thing. <laughs> well, mate, you know, you're not sitting in Amsterdam with 10,000 daily new cases, so uh, it's slightly different here. But uh, on the whole, yeah, look, uh, I think don't overthink things and 
uh, just rely on the fact that people will repeat their own patterns of behavior. So that's it. Okay, uh, um, uh, my biggest thing I've learned this year is uh, reinforcing for me, my uh, reinforcing my priors, um, that how uh, incredibly resilient society is. Uh, uh, like, so uh, there was all of this. So we've had the pandemic, had this economic downturn, but we've also had some enormously uh, uh, high tension political processes that we've been through, through um, the Black Lives Matter protests earlier in the year uh, uh, and the US election and the potential for that to be disputed in a way which could have turned out ugly, uh, it has turned out fine. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, like if you had written the script at the start of this year and you handed it to me and said all these things were going to happen, uh, I would have said very different things about what the world would look like when we got to the week before Christmas. Uh, and it's very reassuring for me that like the way um, things have, like there's been a lot of problems, but a lot of things have gone pretty well. Um, next thing we want to get onto is um, best and worst calls of 2020, which is always uh, uh, my favorite thing. And um, everybody's always really scared to do a worst call. Um, so I'm going to do a worst call. Uh, everybody who said that uh, equity markets were going to implode um, and that, uh, you know, the housing market in Australia was going to, because um, I love talking to these guys because I know some of you listen to the show. And hello, um, how are you going with that uh, uptick in uh, Australian property prices uh, this year? That's, that's, you get my worst call uh, award for the fourth Christmas special running. <laughs> Are you talking about half of Twitter? That's, uh, that's, that's pretty much half the people on Twitter are telling me it's, the world's going to go and end. But, uh, well, no, look, I don't want to be mean. Like, the, the just, just, ask them, just ask sad. them what the cost of carry on that position is, mate, for, for yeah, four yeah. odd uh, years. Look, the rationale is often very, very, very sound and very reasonable. And I, I don't, if, if you're a person who had that view that, you know, I don't think you're a bad person. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> I, on the other hand. But, but I do think... It's it, like everybody needs to be very careful calling that uh, because it, a lot of people call it, have been calling it for a long time. And uh, anyway, so that's my worst call. Um, Dave, do you want to do a worst call? I can do a best call. No, no, you, can, you have to do a worst call. It's the hardest bit. I don't really know. Worst calls, there's been so many this year. Um, you covered most of them, the ones that I follow. Uh, I know there's some people who are already starting to go and meet that uh, the RBA will be hiking rates by the end of next year. Um, I'll put that as a, as a forward indicator for the worst call for 2021. Uh, Ken. Uh, worst call, I think, to all the monkeys that somewhere between January and March globally this year were just clamouring for, it's just the flu, brah. It's just the flu, man. Don't worry about it, idiots. Just the flu, brah. Uh, that is a very good worst call. Uh, uh, Joe, I hate putting you on the spot, but... Oh, good. Uh, I think this year actually worst is easier than best, right? Um, but to frame that, uh, you know, most of the worst calls I've got was sort of in March and April when the world looked really different. Um, so my number one was the 30% fall in house prices as well. Um, my, my second one was um, what about the miss on JobKeeper 1.0? Uh, you know, $70 billion uh, right there. And, and again, um, you know, I'm not criticising, uh, but wow, that was a big miss. That was dropped at 4pm, after 4pm on a Friday, <laughs> Friday afternoon. Yep. And Laura? Yes. Worst call? Have you got a worst call ready? Yes, I do. I think 
President Trump calling his election win on election night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, a hearty laugh all around, I think. <laughs> yes, uh, deep approval. Okay, now we can move on to the really fun bit, um, best calls of 2021. I'm going to start. Uh, Con Michalakis coming on the show about four months ago and saying value stocks. That was where you wanted to be. Uh, uh, Con was it, it, the, the rotation had started, but he was it was a few weeks ahead of the really big move. Uh, and uh, Con uh, is you know he's been on the show a few times. The guy is very very smart, and I think you know for I think more CIOs in Australia should be doing what Con is doing out there explaining uh, uh, risk, um, explaining policy, explaining how funds get managed, explaining portfolios, and talking about it in a really, really detailed way. And that's what he does. And he's completely unashamed about how smart he is. And uh, he's, he's, he's awesome at it. And uh, that was an amazing call. And also, if you had listened to the BIP show, um, you, uh, to anybody who um, listened to the BIP show from the start of the year and acted on uh, some of those uh, some of those calls, I would also give you the best 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 call of the year. Um, only listening from their boats because that's how much money they made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, James, James, have you got have you got a best call of the year from your not boat? I think I think the best call the best call has got to be all of us in a, in a combined situation who just went in and said it's time to buy. Stop saying it's it's terrible, and it was in that March. That, that, that very dippy march when we all went in and and just said look we're just going to rejoin the market anyone who was stopped out and it was it was it was good it was a lot of people just said we're, we're going to do it and we're not you know it's the, the the market will get helped it got helped it got helped by everyone it got helped by, by funny money and stimulus it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what it is and it, the funny thing that the, the, the pull away that I had from from the market is a lot of people who who were on the wrong side of of the rally and it was some some kind of rally the people who are on the wrong side of the rally would put their hand up and say, oh, well, you know, if, if it wasn't all the stimulus and all this funny money going into the market, then then look at what the market would, would do if that was a case. So it doesn't work that way, my friend. It's you trade and you invest in the market that is in front of you, not, yeah. the, not the imaginary one that you've got in your head in some, in some illusion of yours where governments don't now stand behind the market. It's it, that's the one. So it was it was all of us really and, – and it did seem like a combined thing of when everything was absolutely at its worst – we all charged in and said, you know what, it's time it's time to start buying equities. Buy buy equities, buy a share share for mum, share for dad, share for the country. It was a that's a, it was a beautiful, beautiful time to be alive. James, that's the benefit of uh, being involved with through cycles and experience cycles in the past, and that's what an advantage was. I think anyone that's who saw, people. yeah, so, so oh, anyone would have seen the same thing during the GFC. Through I know the uh, the tech break in uh, the two thousands would know the exact reaction function of central banks, and if you've seen that before, you knew exactly what was coming and. It was it was much easier to sit there and actually look at it this time because he had a real playbook about what's likely to go and take place. And lo and behold, it has. Spot on. And it's, I've got I've got uh, as I, I think I joke with you on TV when we started when you sorry when you started Ausbiz and we were talking on those early days over the internet was I got all I got all this salt and pepper that I didn't have before grey hairs through the side on on the right side that was you know that's February and then all, all these grey hairs that I got on the left side that's March it it, it aged us it was stressful but we got there. Um, I, I also had to, by the way, and um, before we move on to forecasts for 2021, um, I have to put my hand up for uh, one of the worst calls of the year where I said on the podcast in August, um, I said, as things stand, uh, Donald Trump will be reelected because um, uh, the polls were tightening at the time, all that kind of stuff. I had no idea uh, what a complete 
uh, shit show, to be honest, um, that the next couple of months were going to be. Uh, <coughs> and um, uh, the result was the result. Uh, Ken, any worst calls? We need to make it quick. Uh, worst, well, I've given you the worst. I think best call for me was lobotomy paradigm, sort of, yeah, uh, lobotomy paradigm mid-May, which is basically just take your brain out, disregard price clears, what you see in front of you is what you should be playing and trading. And yeah, it's been one-way traffic since, basically. Um, I think that was definitely uh, on my list of the best calls because uh, it has proven to be true time and time again. Um, one really fun uh, part of the show, um, we're going around, we're um, topping up our glasses and uh, we are finishing the year, um, as I think probably most people want to finish it, everybody's knackered, can we all just have a drink and have a chat? Uh, look, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the really great things uh, 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 um, that I've learned over the years is that um, people uh, in this industry have a view on what may happen next year. It's not like they won't like pin their uh, colors to um, a particular point forecasts or anything, and but they have they they generally do have a broad, uh, well reasoned view on how they think the next year is going to play out. Um, so uh, let's just go around the room, and uh, I'm going to finish with you, Joe. I think, um, and I'm going to start with the others. Uh, uh, I'm also going to. Put Laura near the end because you'll have a uh, JP Morgan. I'm sure will have uh, some very interesting uh, views, particularly from where you're sitting on rights. Uh, so first on this forecast for 2021 uh, needs to be 30 seconds. Go, James. I'm right. 30 seconds to go. Yield curve steepens as inflation pops because what we're going into over the next. 12 months is going to be the boom that is bigger than what our parents had coming out of World War II. Yield curve will steepen. Inflation will rise because, well, one leads to the other. Emerging markets will absolutely be the best place to invest in and therefore that value four months late. Thank you, Con, but we finally managed to uh, get my myself into gear and actually start to go into value and that'll be the great rotation that goes in. Travel will be different, uh, but will still continue. The world will continue and everything will be amazing. This virus will mutate and the vaccine will need to mutate with it. Ken. Uh, the trajectory that we've seen in the last couple of months will continue, though the momentum will abate. Uh, there'll be a few hiccups. Uh, animal spirits will kick in and then they'll eventually have their teeth kicked in. I'm the other side of James's uh, steepener. I think inflation, if we see it as transitory, uh, things move in a fairly tight, uh, tight range as far as rates. Currencies, the dollar is all but done here. I don't expect much more downside. Um, and then we sort of temper the range. Yeah, the US dollar. Uh, and the Aussie will continue as a beta to global risk. So not dissimilar to what we've seen in the last couple of months, but I, I don't think it's a moonshot. Let's put it this way. I think, I think we will see some steps uh, back as forward. But yeah, on the whole, we sort of continue as per. David, I'm, I'm dying to hear this. Markets are priced in blue sky. Blue sky is already there. And uh, we're not going to see blue sky next year. There's lots of... Uh, Concerns about the, the vaccine, I get a sense that there's a large proportion of the population who will not take the vaccine. When it comes to opening international borders here in Australia, I think there's going to be a significantly and severe problem the government's going to have convincing Australians to go and do that. Uh, when you've got things that are so richly priced and things aren't for perfection, I suspect that uh, we're not going to see massive downside in asset valuations, but those who are predicting big gains in both bonds and equities next year are going to be disappointed. And a lot of chop. Well um, said, Scotty. Well said. I'm with you there, mate. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, uh, so, 
Laura, here we go. Sure. So I guess some of the themes that we've talked about already, we do expect to continue at JP Morgan as well in terms of the value rotation, something our guys called as well early on, and it's been very you know successful and they think it continues into 2021. Uh, they think the S&P could be at uh, 4,400 by the end of next year. They were calling 3,400 in March in the dip. They bought the dip. Um, and obviously that's played out well. It's obviously gone even beyond that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I look, I'll... I'll I'm not an equities expert, but I'll rest with them. They seem to be calling it quite well. The one thing I'd say from the rates world is that, we, yeah, we don't expect a lot of change. But, you know, after the Fed this morning, there's a feeling that maybe tapering could start from, you know, sort of the end of next year. So I guess that's something to have on the horizon. But overall, I think the market's still way too excited about rates rising anytime soon. So, you, you know, you stick with trades now that look for that to be reversed somewhat and, and curves to somewhat flatten into the new year, um, which is, is a little bit bold at this stage. But I would say it's probably going to be the right trade and it has prevailed for the last decade. Wow. Uh, that's true. And I will point out, uh, we had uh, one of your um, distant colleagues, uh, Kerry Craig, uh, the global market strategist in Melbourne, uh, who, who was fantastic. And he, he was a fantastic guest. And he talked us through that whole idea that uh, JP Morgan was actually quite bullish in the middle of the year on that we are at the start of a new cycle. Uh, and the question was, uh, you know, how sustainable is the cycle? Because we're going to have a lot of zombie companies and yeah. et cetera that have been supported. So, so that's going to be a, a, a really interesting thing over the next couple of years. Um, and obviously, some people are going to get mown down in that, right? It's, and that's not going to be pleasant. Uh, but overall, uh, again, you know, uh, at that aggregate level, going to be okay. Uh, well, looks like it's going to be okay from where we stand today. Uh, but it was a really interesting thing that he was he was saying, and that was six months ago almost. Um, uh, so, uh, yet again, best call of the year to um, listen to the BIP show. Um, but um, uh, so uh, I'm going to leave this uh, with Joe um, predictions for 2020 uh, or 2021. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year, isn't it? I think it's going to be as big a year in terms of issues as 2020. As I said, maybe a slower cadence, but I think it's going to be really, really big. And I think you're going to continue to see big forecast misses and big surprises, partly just because the numbers are big. Um, I guess a few big ones from me, I, I just can't get on the reflation art, um, argument. I just, even if the economy uh, performs better than expected and continues to perform better than expected and we continue to see forecast upgrades, there is a lot of spare capacity out there uh, in every market, right? Capacity utilisation, labour market. So I, I really struggle with that. Um, the missing link for me um, is still business investment. Like, it's just not there, right? It was yep. a week before Where are COVID. you, business? Like, like where is it, right? Um, and I, I – so, that, so for me, that's a big one to be watching, like outside of kind of the winding down of support and the COVID virus and the vaccine and China and all those other things. We need businesses in Australia to steal Governor Lowe's terms, you know, hire, invest, innovate and expand. Isn't one of the big things there, though, that we need to go and have a sustained period of strong demand? Because you look at some of the NAB surveys that come out and they go and ask businesses, well, what is the biggest impediment right now? And they'll say demand. So try, instead of trying to go in and provide you know, the incentive to go and invest right now, you'd want to go and see, like, you no, know, support the consumer, support other businesses to go and spend. Look, that's exactly right. But I actually, I, I sort of think about the same argument from a slightly different 
element, and we've talked about this a lot this year, is around hurdle rates. You know, the weighted average cost of capital has come down this year quite substantially, and yet the hurdle rate for investment has gone up because the risk premium has gone up. And so, so are you hearing hurdle rates of like 10%? Oh, hurdle rates in Australia are still in the double digits. What? Um, and actually, the RBA survey from 2016 showed that Australian firms don't review their hurdle rates very regularly. Now, you would hope in COVID that that has happened, but it, the risk premium is too high. It's just too high. So you look at those measures in the budget, as you said, Scotty, they're all about bring forward investment. You've got to bring your hurdle rate down in order to get that investment over the line. There's no silver bullet for that. But what can government do to try and bring that hurdle rate down? And there are a few things that are out, out there. Energy policy, for one. You know, businesses all across Australia tell me all the time it's just a key factor in their uncertainty and their business planning. So there are things we can do. And I think, finally, because I, I know what you said, a short answer, um, our fiscal policy this year has focused on uh, respond and recover. And that is entirely appropriate. In 2021, it has to shift to recover and reform. And I know that feels exhausting and we've talked about it for decades. We have to do something on reform. There has absolutely got to be a stack of reform. And I also think that the other thing is finally, maybe businesses will be nudged out to that thing of same way that financial markets have been trading for a long time, which is, you know, do what the Fed wants you to do, um, move out into equities, right? So where you can like take on more risk, businesses are being given every possible signal that they could get that it is a good time to try some things. Borrow some money, start something, right? Like build some new things, you know, create some jobs because the returns uh, are not out there with your investments. They might be inside where you're right in front of you with your people, so um, Chris Pidcock uh, is going to do something for us. We talked earlier today. I don't know. This is going to be a surprise for me. Um, so I don't know what he's going to do. Um, I'm going to let him introduce it uh, and then we'll say goodbye to everybody and also say goodbye to 2020. And to be honest, I'm really looking forward to that. So, um, but not until we uh, hear another bit of magic from Chris. Thank you, Paul. Well, that was a pleasure to just listen to such a stimulating conversation. So thanks for letting me be part of it. Um, actually, uh, normally when prior to COVID times, um, this time in the year, I'd be out at Maroubra with um, some of my best mates and we'd be doing um, a Christmas carols concert for about, um, we'd put together an orchestra of about 100 and uh, opera singers from Opera Australia and all around uh, with a mix of people, you know, the, the conductor's a horse vet and um, um, we've got immunologists on the flute and engineers and the violins and, and a spatter of Sydney Symphony players. And so I'll play for you um, a condensed version of what normally goes on in Maroubra. This is Oh Holy Night. Thank you. 
Merry Christmas. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> uh, Chris, thank you so much. That was wonderful. Uh, so Chris Pidcock uh, uh, has a new album out. Um, you can find him on Spotify. It's really easy. Um, Chris Pidcock, uh, Immersed in Bach is the new album. Uh, and you can find a whole bunch of his, um, uh, his Bach, uh, really virtuoso um, Bach individual performances, but then uh, things that he's worked on with other composers, uh, other contemporary composers, which show the influence of, of Bach. Um, Chris also is... Uh, easy to find through, you just Google him, Chris Pidcock, uh, and CP Productions is his uh, music uh, 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 company, um, and you can look him up and figure out more of his fascinating story. Um, Chris, thank you so much for making the time. Uh, absolute pleasure. <laughs> okay, we're going to wrap it up, uh, and thank God we're going to wrap it up, right? We're getting out of here. Uh, there's a couple of people waiting for uh, to have a drink with us downstairs, uh, which I'm really excited about. Uh, David Scott, it has been really tremendous having a podcast with you again. Absolutely. And uh, everyone out there, happy uh, Christmas and uh, happy new year. And we'll see you in 21. True. Uh, Laura Fitzsimmons, uh, Executive Director at uh, JP Morgan. Uh, thank you so much for making the time. That was really awesome and great to hear your insights. Thank you so much for having me here again. Uh, and the uh, amazing Joe Masters. Uh, Joe, uh, you're a, a light uh, in, in the um, economic community now uh, in terms of explaining things. Uh, and I will commend to anybody, if you're ever looking for like very robust uh, explanations of uh, GDP and economic data, the way Joe's team and uh, writes their notes uh, at EY is really remarkable, really straight talking, uh, and really breaks it down very, very well for people. So um, uh, you should get on it. So, but anyway, that, uh, enough of me flattering you. Sorry, um, but that is so <laughs> flattering. Um, I'm, I'm going to pop that into my review. Uh, thank you. You know, it's amazing. I love your show. Uh, fantastic conversation. And um, I'd also like to, to wish all your listeners a really happy holiday. But more importantly, call them out to get out there and support the arts. That was absolutely incredible. We know that creativity is good for us, for our mindfulness, but it's also really good for the economy. So that's two ticks from me. And get out there and enjoy what Australia has to offer. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Uh, 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 Ken Vexler, uh, mate, it's been pretty real, hasn't it? It's been weird this year. Yes, yes, but it's always pretty weird with me. Uh, no, Colgo, thank you. It's been great. And uh, once again, thank you for genuinely you know, being the glue that's held this pod together. And no, it's been good. And uh, looking forward to a beer, hopefully, sometime next year when I finally manage to make it back to, uh, to Sydney. <laughs> Penciled it in for 2025. Real good. As bullish as I am. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, and James Whelan. Thank you. Yeah, go, go and have a drink. Get it done. Look, this uh, yeah, we've had yeah. enough podcasts. We've had enough podcasts for the year. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. I wish I was there. I do, I, I do miss you all. Right. Uh, but I'm doing, you know, you got to do the right thing. So it's ambivalent. So I wish I was there, but uh, I'm okay that I'm not there because because uh, that's how it is. We're almost we're almost over the crest of this thing. It's just that, good luck, that, everyone. That's right, that, and that's enough podcast for me. Don't forget, you can support the show uh, at supporter.acast.com forward slash the dash bip dash show. Uh, we'll put that link on Twitter and Facebook uh, everywhere else. Um, I uh, need to say a, qu a quick thank you to our producers, Eamon uh, Connolly and uh, Rick Salter, who do a whole bunch of uh, work for us. Eamon's actually in the room, so you can probably say um, hello, everybody. Yeah, hey, everyone. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Eamon in the background there. Thank you very much. Um, but Eamon works very hard to bring the show together, as does Rick. Uh, and Rick uh, honestly deals with some nightmare edits um, uh, from us from time to time. Okay, we're on Twitter. It's at the underscore BIP underscore show. We're on Facebook too. Just search The BIP Show. We're there individually at Colgo, at James Whelan 42, at Ken Vexler, uh, at Scuddy, uh, at Joanne Masters is really easy to, to find. Laura Fitzsimmons is way too smart to be on Twitter. Um, don't forget to hit subscribe and rate the show. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everybody. Uh, and uh, again, as I said, the show's produced by Eamon Connolly and Rick Salter. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, here's to a much happier 2021. And thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>